Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here, but much more importantly, a very funny man, very talented man, former lawyer, and, and certainly now stand up comedian extraordinaire and uh, writer for uh, so many different shows. You know his work from The Daily Show with Jon Stewart and you know his work from Late Night with Stephen Colbert and so much more. He will be performing at the Brookridge Comedy Club for those on Long Island or around Long Island. Uh, It's in Belmore, New York, and it'll be on Friday and Saturday, September 22nd and 23rd. His name is Paul Mercurial. We've had him before. Always thrilled to have him. Hey, Paul, how are you? Good, Frank. How are you? Good to be back. How are you? Uh, terrific. And, uh, and By the way, I like your first name because it's my middle name. There aren't a lot of Franks out there anymore. I, li- I like that. No, like you know, it's, it's dying. The name Frank is completely dying. And, you know, one of, the, one of the statistics, and I can't believe there's even statistics on this, but the name Frank at the turn of the century was the sixth most popular name in America. Something like what? that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And then now it's the 50th most popular oh, name in America. But uh, Pope Francis, when he took the name, I you know I imagine a lot of folks and cer- certainly people from the um, Latino world, you know, the Latin American uh, world and, and here in America uh, took the name Francisco or Francis or Frank. And, who, you know, who knows? Maybe, it's, maybe Pope Francis saved the name Frank, but we were on the way out, that's for sure. I know it's big among the Italians. I'm Italian, and so that was a big attack. Like my uncle and my grandfather were named Frank, and that's why I was named Frank. So like this Frank Sinatra, obviously. So it's a big Italian thing, I think, definitely. You know. Are you Francis or are you Frank? Uh, no, I'm Frank, and uh, wow. my grandfather was Francis, but they called him Frank, and uh, and I I don't know any other Frank. I really don't. It's crazy, and you know, being Italian, it's like big. There's all these traditions that are like insane. You know, like. Like, uh, like my 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 grandmother was the classic like plastic on the furniture lady. You know, yeah. That thing. Like, <laughs> right. Literally, like there's that room on. If for anybody listening doesn't know what I'm talking about, there's like one room. It's it's a real ethnic thing. I think like the Jews do it too, and the Hispanics. It's like there's this one room that you go in like twice a year, and it's 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 got the really nice furniture. So they put literally clear plastic on it. So you're basically five minutes into sitting under thing, you sit in your own sweat, and it's a, <laughs> yeah. and there's a picture of the Pope. Jesus and Frank Sinatra on the wall. <laughs> and the picture of Frank Sinatra is like twice the size of the Pope and Jesus, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you literally get yelled at if you go in there any other time than like Christmas and Easter, right? But I grew up in an Italian family, but my parents were working all the time. We grew up in a furniture store. And so the, our house was like really messy all the time. And I'm not making this up. This isn't a joke. Someone broke into my parents' house once and they literally like were in and like out in like five minutes and they took... I took the, I think they took like the stereo. Like they literally didn't have time to do anything else. <laughs> and a cop went over to take a police report. He stood in the middle of the living room and he goes, "Oh my God, what kind of an animal would make a mess like this?" <laughs> he thought the guy ransacked the house, and I'm like, "Yeah, the guy was nuts. He threw a bra on the lampshade. He left salami out all day. He was nuts." <laughs> it's just it's like it's just you know, it's just it it's it's classic. I don't know if your parents are still alive. My mother's 89. No, they both like passed, that. but I, I'd rather yeah. that than, than some uh, some prissy, uh, perfectly neat place, you know, yeah. that doesn't feel like home. I'd rather a bra on the, uh, on the lampshade. <laughs> well, my mother's still living in the Depression, and so she uh, will, you know, she's got enough money to live comfortably, but she's like squanders, and she won't buy things, and, she, and she'll go through 
the garbage, like if she's driving down the road and, you know, people put their trash cans out, like on a Sunday or whatever, if she sees, like, something that she thinks is good, she'll grab it. Like a clock, <laughs> food, but like a clock. Yeah, you laugh. I got to live with this nut job, okay? And then she, and she gets, and she literally stood there one day and she goes, Paulie, look at this clock I got in the garbage. I can't believe these people threw this clock out. They're crazy. I'm like, they're crazy? They're crazy. You're like a female version of Sanford and Son. What are you talking about? <laughs> and she, and she's got really bad hearing, right? So hearing aids can be expensive. So she somehow found a hearing aid in the garbage that she was convinced. No was way. Good. Oh no she way. Cleaned it off with some alcohol, but it 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 whistles, it whistles all the time, all the time. You gotta go to the store and get some. It's like talking to a tea kettle in a house dress. Okay. It's uh. just brutal. That's, I can imagine that Italian mother being thrilled when her lawyer son, which she must have been so proud of, said, you know what, I'm going to give it up for stand-up comedy. Paul Mercurio is our very <laughs> special guest, and he is uh, wonderful. He's a writer for the, uh, still the late night, late night with... Uh, well, I, I was writing for The Daily Show. I'm, uh, I did the warm-up for The uh, Late Show with Stephen Colbert now, and I do a lot of like political commentary and stuff like that. I go on like the different news shows and stuff, so I do a lot of the writing for myself now, but I'm st um, I, uh, I do work on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert as the warm-up guy, and I've been on the show several times, too, so and I'm going to be on again and, uh, later this year, so it's, a great, it's great to be on. It's really been fun, and Stephen's a good friend. We go back to The Daily Show together, but, but yeah, my mom was... Uh, they were a little thrown. My parents, you know, high school educated, and you're right. The son makes it as a lawyer, and then, uh, and uh, I <laughs> throws it away for comedy. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, thanks for reminding me, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for reminding me what I could have had. Thanks, buddy. Good friend. Appreciate it. No, he. She, I, my mother was really funny. I go. Um, so I think I'm like I'm. I was on Wall Street. I was doing like M and A deals at a big law firm, and then a big investment bank. So I was, you know, I was pretty. It was I was young, but I was doing okay, right? And she goes. I think I'm going to want to leave Wall Street to be a comedian. And my mother looked at me. She, she didn't even miss a beat. She goes, that better be your first joke. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, oh, my God. And they couldn't, I couldn't, I don't know. I, I, it wasn't planned. Like, I was I was just working hard, being a lawyer, like pulling a lot of all-nighters. But I was writing jokes for some reason. I always loved to watch stand-ups on The Tonight Show. Like, I would remember when I was a kid, I would, like, beg my parents to stay up. Anybody that was on, I'd watch Johnny Carson, and then I'd go into school the next day, and I'd do the guy's jokes. Like, I'd do Rodney Dangerfield, right? Like, I just, like, recite the yeah. jokes. I would laugh. But I never thought I was going to be a comic. I was a lawyer, right? So, then I, I write some jokes, and I have them all saved up, and one night I get to go to a private function, and Jay Leno is there, and he's a performer, and I'm a big fan of Jay Leno's. And there's like 150 people, Frank, in this room. It was like for this big company that he, he they hired Jay as like the private entertainment. And I like I said I heard he was going to be there, so I printed out my jokes. And I went up to him afterwards. I go, look, I don't know if you need jokes, but I have these jokes, and I'm a lawyer. I'm not going to do anything with these. You you can have them. And he goes, okay. He really does talk like they're letting helium out of a balloon very slow. <laughs> When, whenever you talk to him, you want to go, breathe, just breathe, right? <laughs> and uh, so he takes the jokes, and I walk away. I'm super nervous. And he goes, hey, hey, hey come back here. I go, what? I go, you might want to put your name and your phone number on here so I know how to reach you. Like, I was so nervous. I didn't even put my name and my phone number. Right? Here I am, like, Mr. Wow. Lawyer, big shot, right? So now I think I got the nicest blow-off on the face of the planet. You've been in this business a long time. You've worked with major celebrities. You know how there's a way you can say no to somebody sure. that makes you feel bad. So I thought those things were going to be like on a garbage barge somewhere, right? So four days later, three, four days later, my phone rings. And, uh, hey, it's Shane Leno. Is Paul there? Now, 
I'm like, there's no way this is Jay Leno. And I have a friend, Danny, that does good impressions. And I told him the story. So I thought it was my friend Danny busting my chops. And I go, yeah, Danny, right. Good, nice try. He goes, not really. It's Jay. I go, Danny, you do a lousy Jay Leno. And, <laughs> and Leno goes, you know, I'm Jay Leno. I think I pretty do. I do pretty good me. I got to be honest with you. <laughs> so, <laughs> how long did it take you? Uh, to, if, if you're being serious, right? How long did it take you to convince yourself or him to convince you it was Jay Leno? Um, when this, when he said, "Now, really, this is Jay." We met when he goes, "We met the other night. You gave me the jokes." I'm like, "Oh ah, my god!" Wow. Like now, I'm like beat red on the phone. My hands are sweating, <laughs> and I go, oh, "I'm so sorry. It's real. I didn't think you would ever call." He goes, "No, no, I read your stuff, and it's, it's clean. And I need stuff for the Tonight Show because he can't. Like those guys can't do their act. Like when he was hosting the Tonight Show, he has a nightclub act that he does in Vegas or whatever. He can't do his nightclub act." on the Tonight Show because then you pay 150 bucks to go see him in Caesars and you feel ripped off, you know, because you just saw the joke. Right, so, yeah. So it's got to be day of, day of stuff. You go send me stuff in, get clean. He said, if I use anything, I'll pay you 50 bucks a joke uh, and uh, go quit your job yet or whatever, but just start sending me stuff in. I go, are you, and then I don't want to say the word, I said, but are you blanking me? <laughs> yeah. He goes, no, I'm serious. And he goes, by the way, what do you do for a living? I go, I'm a lawyer. He goes, ah, I knew it. He starts laughing. I'm like, you're too wordy. You write like a lawyer. You're not writing a contract. You're just writing a joke, for God's sake. Just get to the punchline already, right? Wow. And then, then like a week later, he calls me again. Him. And I go, why are you? I literally said this up in the front. I go, can I ask you something before we go any further? Why are you calling me? You have like an assistant who has an assistant who has an assistant. He goes, yeah, I like to keep in touch with the guys and whatever. I go, Jay, look, you can't keep calling me. I'm busy. I got stuff to do. <laughs> Come on. Well, yeah, geez, I can't carry your career and mine. Uh, no. That's... He goes, I'm going to do your joke on The Tonight Show tonight. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He goes, yeah. Wow. So I got a bottle of champagne, and I got my, got my girlfriend, now my wife, and we went to another couple's apartment uh, in the city here, and he did the joke, popped the champagne, paid me 50 bucks for this joke. And it was the most powerful thing that ever happened to me. Wow. Just unbelievable. Paul Mercurial. Is, yeah, it was crazy. All right, let, let me remind folks, if they're just tuning in or turning on their radios a little late, Paul Mercurial is our very special guest, and he will be at the brokerage in Belmore, New York. If you're around New York or Long Island, not too far from the city, actually, Belmore, uh, New York, the brokerage, Friday and Saturday, September 22nd and 23rd, he will be there headlining. I assume headlining, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Headlining mm -hmm. yeah. Frank McKay here with Paul Mercurio. And you know his work from uh, Stephen Colbert and The Daily Show and so much more. And Jay Leno <clears throat> giving you $50 a, a joke. I mean, you know how many of those $50 jokes you got to sell to Jay Leno to pay for law school? I mean, what did your law school cost? You sound exactly like my father. Oh, yeah. my God. What do you got? I, I mean, uh, yeah. a, a thousand jokes is $50,000. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure <laughs> law school costs more than $50,000. Oh, it was, yeah, it was. But I became obsessed now with sending him more jokes. So when I go to a meeting at work, like for a deal, and I'm sitting around a conference room in like a shirt and tie with all these other, you know, uh, lawyers and bankers or whatever I had two notebooks and one was notes for the deal and the other was joke notes and I wasn't taking any deal notes I was just taking notes for jokes and then I had to recreate the minutes of the meeting and I go back to my office and go what the heck just happened in that meeting I have no idea but I got four good jokes for Leno and I kept sending them in and then he said to me um, this is how he turned into stand-up for me. He goes, go try the jokes out before you send them to me. And I go, how do I do that? He goes, you can go to these open mic nights around New York 
and and they're like in little bars, you know, they have like a room in the back one night a week kind of thing. Not a full fledged comedy club like the brokerage or something. You gotta start like smaller venues. So I start going around to these dive bars uh on my dinner break at seven o'clock to do open mic nights, living this like secret double life where I'm like a lawyer by day and a comic yeah. by night. And I would get in a cab and I'd go downtown to like the worst parts of New York. It was like the Bowery and this one place I worked was called um Downtown Beirut 2. Oh, I know I that. Yeah, I know. I knew Downtown Beirut. That's right? Sleaze Hall, yeah. yeah. Yeah, apparently they were franchising them or somebody blew up one. I'm not sure, but uh, <laughs> and it was literally, it was literally like, it was like a dysfunctional cheers. It was like the, there was like a regular hooker that worked out of there and she would give you notes on your jokes. Yeah. She'd go, hey, how come you're not doing that joke about cabbies anymore? I really like that joke. You know what you need to do with that joke? It was literally like right out of a stick top. And and they dealt drugs out of there, and it was just this like you, you know when people you know and it's sad people have issues on the streets and they're borrowing yeah sure you to, to go to drink and you go yeah I wonder where they go to drink with that money this is where they go to drink with the money <laughs> and so one night so now my routine was I get in the car and I take my suit coat off and my I undo my tie and I take my cufflinks off like I didn't want to look too like whatever because I'm going into this like the bowels of the earth right like this is like yeah so I don't want to look like because I don't want to get rolled or you know what I mean so I go in and I'm waiting to go on stage and it was like a folk singer on stage before me and then all of a sudden these two guys get in like a fight at the bar like a real fight like really nasty fight and I'm like and it's just all heck breaks loose and I'm like okay well this is over right and the cops are there, and one guy's bleeding, like from this, you know, like the, I don't know, his arm or whatever side of his head. And, and then the MC goes up, and they go, no, this, this all just happened. And 30 seconds later, the MC goes up, and he goes, All right, you guys ready for some comedy? <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I don't know, because I'm not doing it long enough, that I don't have to go up, right? Like, it's just some stupid little bar. I don't have to go up. I can no. just walk out. Right. I think I got to go up, so I go up. And I don't know what to say. I'm like a deer in the headlights. Cause uh, it's like complete cool. mayhem. Like the guy is drunk who's bleeding in the fight. He's going, I'm going to get him. He's, he's ranting his girlfriend. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and I'm up there. Hey, guys. How you doing, right? So I say, hey, it's nice to be here at downtown Beirut, too. I always wanted to follow a slashing, which <laughs> I thought was a pretty good line. Yeah. Thank you. I Thanks for laughing. Well, the guy didn't. So now at this point, the guy who got in the fight, and he's kind of bleeding. He had some napkins he was using to, like, whip with the butt. He goes, hey, you make making fun of me? I don't need to take that. And he took all the napkins and he threw them at me. Uh. And they hit, they hit me in my shirt. And now I had a blood stain on my <laughs> shirt. And, and, um, and then I keep going and nobody's listening. And he's ranting and the cops are there. And, uh, and you'd think, it, like, this is, to me, I'd get the message, like, God wants you to get off stage. No, yeah. I just keep going, right? I don't care. Like, I'm determined <laughs> that, right? This is, like, the thick head of the Italian in me, right? So... He turns back to me, the guy who got in the fight, he was like bleeding a little bit, and he goes, hey, what are you doing anyway? I go, I'm trying to tell jokes. He goes, oh, yeah? He goes, I like jokes. I'm in the mood for some jokes. Hang on a second. He turns back to the bar and he goes, hey, everybody, shut up. This guy's trying to tell jokes. <laughs> the whole place, like a pin drop. You could hear a pin drop. And I finished my little set, and I got back in the car. And then, you know when you were like 12 and you broke your mother's favorite lamp and then you glued it back together yeah. and then she'd never notice and yeah. then the minute she walks in she notices yeah. okay I turned into that guy so now here I am Mr. Wall Street lawyer I'm get back in the car and now I'm dressing back up and I got a blood stain on my shirt but I can't go home because I gotta go to work because I'm like three hours past when I was supposed to be back so I walk into this conference room 
And I thought, oh, I have this file folder, and I'll just keep it pressed against my rib cage where the little blood stain is, and nobody will notice. This is like this is me being like a twelve year old idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I walk into the conference room. My foot, my one foot hits the carpet, and the senior partner, who was like apoplectic because he couldn't find me, who was like my father's age, goes, "Where have you been? Why do you have a blood stain on your shirt?" <laughs> like two seconds. Oh. I'm like, oh, oh my god, I'm dead. So now I'm dead, right? And I have been doing this for like a months now and I knew if the firm found out that I was doing this they'd be like you either got to do that or do this but it's not appropriate we don't want our lawyers and bankers in these kind of places wow so I'm wow. thinking up for myself well yeah yeah the, the, yeah the jig is up here right and so I'm like I don't know what to say why do you have a question in your shirt I'm like searching and all of a sudden another lawyer goes to me what kind of shirt is that I go it's a Brooks Brothers shirt why he goes I know how to get blood out of a Brooks Brothers shirt and he gets me <laughs> And then he gives me, like, his recipe to get blood out of the shirt. <laughs> and then these guys literally start arguing with each other, like, what's the best shirt to get blood out of? And I'm like, did you guys remake American Psycho last week? Or what are you talking about, right? And I just slinked out of the room. And I, and, and, that, and that was my life for, like, two years. I was trying to do both things. And, and then I was like, I either got to go for this or quit because I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. And well. Listen, give you, give, keep your thought for one second. I'm going to remind folks, Paul Mercurial is performing live in mm-hmm. Belmore, New York at the Brokerage Comedy Club. And if you're anywhere around Long Island or New York, Friday and Saturday night, September 22nd and 23rd, you could see him there. He'll be headlining and, uh, and who knows, you might see a little blood coming from his shirt. Yeah. Or you might yeah, see him get into a fight so or something. <laughs> and, uh, and who knows, Frank McKay here with Paul and yeah, you know, folks can go to tickets.brokeragecomedy.com for tickets. tickets. Yeah, give it again. I was talking over you. Give give the uh, yeah, site it's, again. It's tickets uh, for for tickets. You can go online to tickets.brokeragecomedy.com. Tickets.brokeragecomedy is one word. Brokeragecomedy.com. Well, let me let me say this. I used to manage bands, all kinds of bands, mm-hmm. and I used to book. Uh, be a booking agent from 17 years old I was a full time you know I supported myself as a booking agent as a promoter and all this downtown Beirut and downtown Beirut 2 were places that used to have have a, a, a poetry night Believe it or not, those places would have a poetry night. Like, it'd, it'd be an open mic, but people would go up there and read this bizarre poetry. I don't know. I don't know if you ran into that any. I, actually, I shouldn't say it was down down uh, Beirut, too, but downtown Beirut used no, to have but, that. But it was, you're, you're right. And I, you know, you're the only person I've met that actually knows this place. Yeah, well, none I know. Of, none, well. Of, none, of, none of what I talk about here and none of what I talk about in my act is made up. My, my act is just my. <laughs> Real life, life. <laughs> get into confrontations and arguments with people because I think I'm getting screwed in consumer situations. It's not, my wife's trying to get me to seek some help of some kind, but I think I'm going to change the world. But we can get to that in a minute. But yes, what they did on those open mic nights was they would have a fo- they'd, they'd have a mix of like folk singers and poets, and this was before like poetry out loud and poetry slams were the big thing, you know. And, and comics, and you go in at like 7 o'clock, say the show started at 7.30, and you all the performers would just pick a number out of a hat. Whatever your number was, that's when you went up. And so if there were 30 performers, and sometimes there were like that many, each doing five minutes, you had a long night of hanging out. Yeah. And, and that's that's what kind of, that was really the thing that gave me more of a nervous breakdown than anything, because there were, there were many times when I was way late for a meeting, because... And I come back like reeking a beer and cigarette smoke, like I was just at a strip club or something. And I was like, <laughs> it was like, what are you doing? Do you have a problem? I'm like, no. I, mean, I couldn't say. I'm telling you. It was so funny though. The guy, 
these big law firms have what they call an IT department. So, like, when you, you know, you're drafting these long documents, like, you literally, like, write on the document. And then you bring it, there's, like, a group of people who are typed and just type through the word processing, right? So you hand the document. So, so you put all your documents into the system, and, the, and then you have a password for every document you put in. So I had my jokes in the system under a password. Oh, no. So years later, Brutal. this happened, like, six months ago. I went to a... I went to Wait, a, hold on. Hold on. I'm going to cut you off. We're going to start off uh, after, after the break on this story. I'm sorry to cut you off. Paul Mercurial, everyone... Right after the break, we have you for another segment, Paul. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Paul Mercurio. You could see him at the Brokerage Comedy Club if you're anywhere around New York or Long Island. And the dates are Friday and Saturday, September 22nd and 23rd. He'll be headlining. Great performer and a wonderful writer. And you've seen his work uh, and heard his work on Daily Show with John Stewart. And and you saw his appearances. He's just a very talented guy. He can do all kinds of things. And and if you ever need a lawyer who can take a take a shot, <laughs> can take a slashing, this guy is Frank McKay. Signing off for a moment, Paul Mercurio. When we come back, right after this. Breaking it down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone back to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. Much more importantly, Paul Mercurio is a stand up comedian and, and a writer, comedy writer, wonderful guy, a former lawyer. He started out life in Rhode Island. And uh, I'm sure he broke his poor Italian mother's heart when he said, I'm going to do comedy instead of utilizing my very expensive law license and uh, law degree and all of that. Frank McKay here with Paul. Uh, He will be at the Brookridge Comedy Club on Long Island. And if you're anywhere in New York, uh, folks, uh, go and see him. You will not be disappointed. He's absolutely great. Friday and Saturday night, September 22nd and 23rd. You can see him there. Paul, welcome back. Hey. Thanks, Frank. It's always great to be on and to be reminded of what a mistake I made with my wife. I really appreciate that. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about it, right? I mean, all yeah. all kidding aside, uh, how long did it take you to pay your 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 law school debt back? I mean, you didn't pay it in cash, right? I mean, you didn't you didn't pay your law no, school. No, I get... say it's going to be I'll be paid off in twenty forty eight. Well, no, I had the thing was I I wasn't. I don't want people to get the you know I was working on Wall Street, but. I wasn't making that crazy, crazy money that you make when you're like a partner. Like I was a, I was a young associate, so I still had debt and everything else. And I, so I couldn't. You ask a great question. Like I had to pay off my loans, but I also, and I owned an apartment. I owned a nice apartment, a co-op, uh, a two-bedroom on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, in the Museum of Natural History, and had a sob and everything else. And and then I said, okay, well, I'm going to do this full time, but I can't keep my apartment. I can't pay the mortgage and whatever. I need to cut way back. So I unraveled my life. I sold my apartment. I sold like all my fancy suits except for like one. I sold anything that I could use to keep money. Because Leno gave me the best advice. And for people who just tuning in, I, Leno was the person that helped me get started in the business. He said, don't get tied up with a lot of bills and money because then you're not going to be able to go do stand-up. You're going to have to go get like two jobs and you're going to be too tired and then go do stand-up. So, so I moved, I sold my apartment and I moved to a rooming house in New Rochelle, which is in, just outside of New York City. And it was like one of those old, like, you know those film noir movies, like, where you see, like, Philip Marlowe and the guy goes to, like, this old rundown rooming house where the yeah. bad guy lives, with this, like, a bare light bulb in the hallway and this rat <laughs> yeah. running around. That's, that's literally what this was. This old German couple had a giant house, and they rented out 10 by 12 rooms. I had a hot pot in my room and a little bureau, and you had to share a kitchen and a bathroom <clears throat> with other people in the house. And the people in the house were me, two ex-cons, two recovering addicts, 
and I'm not making this up, a 300-pound phone sex operator who sold herbal-like diet products. Oh, <laughs> no. And wow. she lived right above me, so I could hear every single phone call. So, like, whenever a call would start, like, middle of the winter, February, I'd have to put my coat on and go walk around the neighborhood for a half hour. <laughs> and so she would, yeah, it was, it was, oh, my God. It was like, and, I, and I'm not making fun of anybody, but, like, I could hear she, she would describe it. She goes, oh, I have blonde hair, and that was true, and blue eyes, and that was true. And I weigh 105 pounds. <laughs> Thank you for playing. Um, and, and your arm weighs 105 pounds. And, and then I started to live the life of a stand-up and go into this gig for 50 bucks here in Connecticut and this gig in New Jersey and here and there and just trying to make it. And, and that's how it started. And uh, I missed and, it. Were you married? Were you married at the time? Well, you know, I was, I was about to be married. My wife and I had been together since high school. And, uh, and we actually, and then I went to law school. She went to graduate school so we dated a long time we dated like 13 years before we got married and uh and she proposed finally um i can't tell you her exact words because i get like really emotional but they yeah. ended with, get off the pot <laughs> and uh <laughs> and uh no so yeah so we were living together and um and she went along you know and um that's great. I'll tell you what. Yeah. You found a great woman, if that's the case, yeah. because she's going to let you go from Wall Street to and 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 a, a law degree to mm-hmm. comedy. My God, I mean, it's just you know, it's like yeah. shoot me well, now. I did, have, I did have compromising pictures of her that I threatened to have published, <laughs> so I think that has something to do with it. But no, she she was always very cool about it. And the thing that everybody said in all seriousness for a minute was the common response back was, "You work." I mean, I'm from a blue-collar family, right? So I, I didn't get any easy pass to get into law school and Wall Street. I had to work my butt off and, and it's a massive debt. Like, people, everybody was saying to me, like, you worked so hard, you want to do that all over again. And, uh, and then my mother said, you know, they do a lot of drugs in those clubs. I go, Ma, they do way more drugs on Wall Street. I <laughs> show a wolf of Wall Street. Show a, yeah, show exactly. that. exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, um, and so, you know, it was definitely, like, when you have moments like, you know, a guy throwing bloody napkins at you or, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> here's another guy. I, I open for a guy. And now I'm trying to, like, as a comic, you're trying to figure out what your voice is, right? Like, you start out, you just want to get comfortable on stage, and then you try to figure out, well, what makes me me? What what makes Frank McKay Frank McKay? What makes Louis C.K. Louis C.K., et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. And that takes time, right? So I'm always studying other comics. So they had me open for this guy they flew in, and the guy was like, just he just wouldn't stop talking. He was bragging about himself and how great he was. And I'm like, you know, I'm like uh, Robin Williams and Richard Pryor all rolled into one and blah blah blah. And this and that. Okay, right. So this guy does the act, and his act is just like, eh, okay, it's almost like a Robin Williams ripoff, right? Yeah. And so at the end of the act, now understand, I'm like a uh, I'm like a newborn pup comic trying to learn from the masters, right? So I think this guy, I'm going to watch him learn something. This is the last bit for his act. He takes a steel rod and he swallows a steel rod down his throat like a like a two-foot rod he puts lighter fluid in his mouth when he starts blowing fire and then the final thing of his act is he takes like heavy duty floss like you would i guess floss your teeth and he snakes it through his nose through his nasal passage Uh. out of his mouth and like i know i know and then the crowd stands up and gives him a standing ovation and i'm like i'm in the wrong business i am in the wrong business and uh so you have those moments along the way, and then, but then as things start to kind of come together, you're like, okay, this this is kind of this is what I should do. And then I had Paul McCartney on my podcast, and that was like, yeah, horrible. that's amazing. I remember you told me that. Hold on, let me remind folks once again. You're hearing the voice of Paul Mercurial, 
and uh, someone who was uh, who's been connected to Paul McCartney, I hear, and I, I remember that you had him on your show, which yeah, is just yeah, was just amazing. Yeah. But let me remind. So, I mean, that wouldn't have happened. To, that wouldn't have happened to me if I was a lawyer, you know. That, no, that definitely. Yeah, he wouldn't come in and hire you to uh, to do an order to show cause for something. <laughs> All right, September twenty second and twenty third, Friday and Saturday night, you can see Paul Mercurial live at the Brookridge Comedy Club in Belmore, New York. Frank McKay here with uh, the man you've seen so much of from all over TV, but uh, but certainly uh, The Daily Show and and uh, Stephen Colbert, The Late Night with Stephen Colbert, and so much more. Uh, great uh, great career, great story. Uh, go, go into Paul McCartney for a second. I And I spoke to you one time about this, but how does one get Paul McCartney as a guest? I mean, I, I'd love to know, and, and everybody else that has uh, their mouth in front of a microphone for any <laughs> period of time would love to know how you do that. Well, it was like, it was it was a combination, I think, of dumb luck and just, you know, kind of, I don't know, just going for something and saying, what's the worst that could happen? But uh, he was performing at the Colbert Report, and I was working there, and I was walking through the hall, and I was rushing to get to the studio, and uh, standing in the hallway all alone was Paul McCartney. It was like, and you, look, you've managed stars, you've been around big stars. You know, it's kind of hard to get starstruck, but... Yeah. Paul McCartney, like, yeah. yeah, and he was all alone. Like, he wasn't with anybody. He wasn't, it was like, it wasn't like he had any hand with nothing. There was nobody with him. It was just all alone. Like, he was literally... He was leaning against the wall with, like, on his shoulder with his arms folded like he was waiting for a bus. Wow. Literally. Wow. So now my whole world slows down. I'm like, oh, my God, it's Paul McCartney. Do I say hi? Do I not say hi? And then I'm thinking, you know what? He's alone in a hallway without any security. He's like a gazelle on the Serengeti Plains, and I'm a lion. I'm going to pounce, right? <laughs> so, so I go up, and I just say, look, it's a real pleasure to meet you. And I don't really do this very often on these shows because, you know, these people want to be left alone, right? I go... It's, I got to just say, it's an honor to meet you, and uh, um, you know, I, I just, it's, and I, I'm just speechless. He goes, "Oh, thanks, man," and I start to walk away. He goes, "Oh, come back." He goes, "Sweetie, by the way, I can't do a British accent, so yeah. I just sound like I'm a little gay." <laughs> but, um, he goes, uh, "He goes, what do you do?" I go, "I'm a stand-up because then I work on the show here in the Daily Show." He goes, "Oh, I love those shows, and I love stand-up." Uh, Richard Pryor is a friend, was a friend of mine. Blah blah blah. He starts talking about this person and that person. You have a kid, yeah, I got a kid too, and. Yeah, we're sharing custody with Heather. My son's in London, and you travel. Yeah, I try. So, like, I'm talking to Paul McCartney like I'm talking to you like 15 minutes ago. By. Meanwhile, I'm looking over my shoulder waiting for somebody to tase me because I'm talking to the guy, right? <laughs> and people who work on the show are walking by like, oh, wow, Paul McCartney. It's Paul McCartney, right? <laughs> and then I did this one thing that I felt bad about. I, I started to get really close to his face as I was talking to him because I was like, oh, checking him out. Yeah. Like, so the close talkers at the episode. <laughs> like, I was so close to him. I literally could have cleaned, like, ticks off his eyebrows like, <laughs> in the wild. Like, that's how close I was. Uh, and then I'm like, in my head, I'm like, okay, you know what? This is going so good. I don't want to ruin it. I'm going to leave the party early. I'm done. So I say goodbye, and I go into the bathroom. I'm hyperventilating. I'm not kidding. I call my wife. I'm like, you're not going to talk about McCarty. Like, I'm out of my mind, right? <laughs> and I hang up the phone, and I, and I love to talk to people about process on my podcast. Like, I have different people from different walks of life. Brian Cranston, Stephen Colbert, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, like about what they do, how they do it, how they came to be so good at what they do, Bob Costas. So there's something for everybody. Yeah. And um, I decided in my head, Paul McCartney should do my podcast. I'd like to talk to a musician, right? So yeah. I go knock on the door and it's just, you know, I go, I know this is crazy, but would you do my podcast? I'd love to talk to you about how you make music. He goes, yeah, sure. Just like that. Wow. Like, well, yeah. Unbelievable. And then I'm like, Unbelievable. And then I goes, how would we do it? And I started to stammer, and I go, um, uh, uh. I go, 
It's really easy. You can do it on your phone, make it from your toilet. I'm like, what am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> so then I go, look, I'll leave you alone, and I'll just go talk to one of your you know, assistants. He goes, no, nah, let's just you and I set it up. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, you and I, you'll just set it up, because they're going to mess it up, and we'll just do it. And he goes, but when I call you, you got to be ready to do it. I'm like, okay. And again, like Leno, I thought I got a nice blow-off. And then he does the show, and he was amazing. And like an hour and a half later, I'm rushing to get to the Daily Show taping down the road, and my phone rings, and I don't recognize the number, and I'm busy, and I'm running late, so I let it ring the voicemail. Oh, no. And this is the message on my phone. Hold on. Hey, Paul. It's Paul McCartney here. Um, I'm going to ring you back in five minutes to do the podcast thing. I've got some time now. Otherwise, I'm going to run out of time. So if you're there at five minutes time, you got me. Okay, <laughs> That's unbelievable. Can I say that I've now had Paul McCartney on on our show? We had a kind of. What what do you do? I mean, what where do you have that? What is? Where is that? Is that like on your phone? Is that? I have it saved on my phone on four computers. I saved in a a vault at the FBI. Like I have it saved. Literally, I have it saved in three different devices because that's incredible. Yeah, it it was insane. And by the way, people can hear it's the Paul McCurio show on iTunes. M e c u r i o one r in my last name. Yeah, how do yeah how do they do it? Yeah, give it again. Give it. I just just plug in. uh, Just go on online and uh, search the Paul McCurio show. You go to iTunes and all my all my guests are there and Paul McCartney's there and you can just click on it and listen. Free free download. Paul McCurio show. After you do that, and get down to the brokerage, which is in Belmore, yep. New York, and Friday and Saturday, September 22nd and 23rd. You can see Paul there. He'll be headlining at the uh, Brokerage Comedy Club, which is an amazing place to see a show. They really yeah, it's do. really a lot of fun. And um, for tickets, people can go to uh, tickets.brokeragecomedy.com, tickets.brokeragecomedy.com, and uh, doing three shows, one Friday, two Saturday. And it's a really great space, and the owners are really great guys, and uh, it's part of the governor's uh, chain out in Long Island. So I hope people can come out and see me, and I have a lot of fun talking about a lot of different stuff, and you can all come up to me and say, why did you leave law to be a comedian? What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, your mother stole my, my uh, hearing aid. You can hear <laughs> your mother stole <laughs> <laughs> what did she do? She stole my hearing aid. She just took it right off my, my ear. But Frank McKay here with Paul Mercurio. And uh, I don't want to start rumors here, but uh, I heard maybe Paul McCartney might be showing up to the brokerage. At, hey, no. hey, you know what? Why don't we just put that out there? <laughs> Why not? Right? The owners will have to give their money back because no Paul McCartney didn't show up this evening. <laughs> <laughs> Frank McKay again with Paul Mercurio. we got a couple moments left. You know his work from The Daily Show, Stephen Colbert, and, and all over TV. What was your first TV appearance? It was on a, um, it was on like, you know, it was like the, the kind of showcase shows, like uh, there's a host and there's like four comedians on, it was like on Comedy Central. Yeah. And you go up and you do like, you know, five minutes of material and, uh, you know, you're, you're a nervous wreck because you've been doing the material for a while but then all of a sudden you start to, get, you know, your hands get clammy and your mouth is dry and, and then you're like, boy, I can understand why people have a drug problem in this business because you just want to take a Valium to calm down, you know? <laughs> And uh, and I remember, like, the first joke I did was about my lips, because as a kid, I was always get picked on. I had big lips, and and my and they were big, they were really big when I was little, and, like, my body grew into them, but so I, the joke was something like, uh, my lips are big, I know. When I was eight, my lips were the same size as they are now. Uh, I could whisper in my own ear. Uh, <laughs> my father would take me fishing, stick my face in the water, and say, okay, call your friend. Like, <laughs> that was my joke. And and it got a good laugh, you know. And um, but you kind of start where you're writing stuff like that, you know. And then you kind of 
we move on to other stuff that's a little bit more like super personal and stuff. But yeah, it was uh, it was, uh, and they put makeup on you, and then they're like, just calm down. I'm like, hey, come over here, and then they're rushing you, and you're like, this is not relaxing <laughs> at all. But but it was really, it was it was surreal to see myself on that box that I used to watch all the time. That yeah. That's yeah. That's that's always an interesting situation. What was the what was the fifty dollar first fifty dollar joke you sold Jay Leno? Do you remember? Yeah, it was about this guy Frank McKay, and uh, no, um, give you less about, than fifty. <laughs> it was about oh, it was about this old house, the you know the remodeling show, yeah, and how it doesn't reflect reality. I can't I can't remember the exact question, but the idea of the joke was, um, you know, I was watching this old house and. You know, the contract is super polite and well-kept and on time and under budget and smells good and everything. Does that guy exist in real life? Whenever I have a deal with one of those guys, the guy's like showing plumber crack. He's hitting on my wife, going through my sock drawer for money. That's good. <laughs> Wearing my underwear. And it, did really, and it did really well. I was like, oh, my God, I, I wrote that. And he was, of course, he's a brilliant comedian. But it was, yeah, it was, it was surreal. It was surreal. How many $50 jokes did you sell Jay Leno? Uh, I sold him one. That's and, it. He's uh, never saw <laughs> Yeah. No, it was a bunch, you know. And then I um I got really fixated on send you know, doing my own. So um I really focused more on that once I started doing the stand up because I was already spread so thin trying to trying to just do my full time job that was like an eighty an hour week job. So I, I I really you know, but he, he took a bunch and he was great, you know, and he every once in a while I would give you feedback and I was just I was just visiting him in LA and I he, uh, I was I was hanging out with him in his garage, and he—it's unbelievable. His collection is unbelievable. He's got literally hundreds of cars and hundreds of motorcycles, all vintage. Like just, just incredible. Like, I—it's I, got to be the biggest collection in the world. Oh. Yeah, I, I don't know, but it was—he's got a World War II engine from a fighter a jet, a fighter World War II fighter, British fighter plane, a Rolls Royce engine, completely refurbished with a giant chrome propeller. Like, it's unbelievable. So. I keyed half the cars just to let them know I was there. You know, I <laughs> <how> I roll. <laughs> uh, well, listen, we, yeah, we've we've nice. got we've got a couple moments left, but I, it's not the fifty bucks you get from Jay Leno. It's the credit you get for having Jay Leno do one of your jokes. We got yeah. about two minutes left. What happens to your life when when it gets out that Jay Leno just did one of your jokes? What happens to my life? Is yeah, that yeah. What happens to your career? Well, when that happens, you instantly get. There's a credibility thing that happens among, I think, the comedians, you know. Like, I worked on The Daily Show, and then we won an Emmy Award. We had several, but we won the first one for writing, and I was a writer on it. It just, like, it's like you've got a promotion at work. You know what I mean? I think that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. Um, and uh, and everything is just easier. The drugs are cheaper. The hookers are cheaper. <laughs> uh, um, the hookers no, are bringing you drugs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And they're giving me notes on my joke. No, it just kind of like tells me, and you're no different than the day before he, he bought it. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. Like, I'm, but suddenly because that happens, it's, it's, you know how life is about like titles and position and credits. Yeah. Completely. So if you've got that stamp, then if you, and you get a lot of those stamps, then you start to become a bigger and bigger name and a bigger and bigger star. And, and I think that's like the practical effect of it. And also for the public, like, you know, I don't get the headline if I don't have credits, you know, like, like I've been on the Late Show with Stephen Colbert several times. I've had my own special and blah 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 and Emmy Award and this and that. But you got to kind of build to that. So that was that was the part that like it, you know, that it takes time. I mean, I stole John Stewart's first Emmy. I just took it. I mean, he didn't need it. He had a festival. <laughs> what the hell? <clears throat> no. So um, so yeah, that was the thing. It gives you, it gives you instant credibility. I think. 
Yeah, well, listen, a guy who needs no more credibility than uh, than you could ever get uh, in a career. This guy is absolutely wonderful. What a wonderful career he's had. He made the right decision to to give up boring old uh, law for for comedy. And I don't know. Well, if you know, you do get you do get to talk about just to finish up. Like, yeah, my mother was like the thing. Great thing about comedy is you get to have a conversation that doesn't make sense to you, and then you can talk about it. I've like my mother said <laughs> to me the other day, the old days are better, and then. Um, and then I was I saw something that referenced like Halloween was coming up and then it made me think like they weren't better, they were really creepy and inappropriate because we did things <laughs> in the old days that you can't do today. Every Halloween because my parents were so busy working, and I'm sure a lot of people out there had the same thing. My parents dressed me as a hobo because it was easy. They got some old clothes, they put some shoe polite polish on my face to make me look like I had dirt on my face, a little funny hat and they sent me out. A hobo is a homeless person. <laughs> you couldn't do that today. It would be completely politically incorrect. Yeah. My parents, think about it, they dressed me as a homeless person and sent me out onto the streets at night to collect free food in front of real homeless people. <laughs> wow. Like, yeah, it was terrible. I never got food. Every house, like a big beans and a harmonica. It was horrible. Great so, job. Yeah, you, Anyway, yeah, thanks, man. This has been great. It's really been fun. Congrats on, on your whole career, and it's still going so strong, stronger than ever. Uh, Paul Mercurio uh, opens. He warms up for Stephen Colbert's Late Night, and, or Late Night with Stephen Colbert, I should say. Daily Show uh, Emmy uh, winning uh, writer, just wonderful. And you can see him live at the Brokerage Comedy Club in Belmore, New York, on September 22nd and 23rd, Friday and Saturday nights. Get there. Uh, you know what time on uh, Friday and Saturday nights? Um, uh, I don't know the exact times, but there's like an eight, usually like an eight, and then like an eight and a ten. Yeah, you'll get, you'll figure it out. First, that Friday there's a uh, on Friday there's like a one show, and that's usually around seven thirty or eight o'clock. Yeah. Uh, but they can just go to the brokeragecomedy.com, and it'll all be there. And for tickets, the tickets.brokeragecomedy.com. Well, everybody go there. Hopefully, Friday, I'll Saturday. I'll see them down there. I'm getting down there myself. Uh, Paul Mercurial, thank you very much for being here. Congrats on everything. All right. Thank you, Frank. This is always fun. Great talking to you, buddy. Appreciate thank, it. Thank you. Frank McKay signing off. Paul Mercurio, once again. Brookridge Comedy Club, Belmore, New York, Friday and Saturday, September 22nd and 23rd. Please get down there. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. <laughs>